Hi, and welcome to How to Ruin Dinner, conversations from the university. We're here today to talk more Camino, which I'm so excited about. And our guest um, came to us via another Camanista, as I like to call us. Um, uh, David Scheffler is our guest, but Michael Boyle um, set us up, and I'm so grateful to him. David, you're in the history department, and so this is kind of your work, right? Um, and and I just want to mention that I'm, I'm also here with Yeah, James. don't forget me. Come on, yeah, man. I'm sorry, my co-host. I almost did. I caught myself. Yeah, I know. David's great, but you can't forget me either. Yeah, yeah. and and um, James Hayes is um, not a communista, but we're going to make him one by the end of this semester, at, at the yep. very least. If he doesn't bolt from the semester altogether and go start walking... Any day now. As, um, as I told you earlier today, you're getting me out of my comfort zone a lot, and I'm going to get you back at some point. <laughs> <laughs> David, would you like to tell us about your work and sure. what you do with the Camino, but also just in general what your background is and how you came to? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I'm uh, currently chair of the history department at the University of North Florida, um, I, my research focuses um, on medieval education, actually, which is where I publish primarily. And although recently I've taken um, a turn towards uh, pilgrimage, I've published a couple of short pieces on uh, the Camino de Santiago uh, and also on the Children's Crusade, which has a kind of uh, pilgrimage component uh, in it as well. So uh, over the last, uh, was, since 2015, I've been taking students um, on the Camino uh, we walked the last about 110 kilometers or so of the Camino, uh, which is a section from Saria to Santiago. Uh, that's the portion necessary to receive the Compostela, uh, the official recognition of completion of the, of the Camino. We've done it three times now with students uh, in 2015, 2017, and 2019. Well, that must have been interesting right before the pandemic. <laughs> Did you just get it in before? We, we the, were... The, the, News of the pandemic was starting? Uh, we finished well before the, because we did it in the, it would have been um, the uh, July of 2019. So oh, it yeah, would have been you, a few months before yeah, the, the, was, Camino, or the, uh, the pandemic shut things down, which yeah. we had planned another one in, uh, in 2021, and that one uh, was canceled by the, the university. Uh, well, or, kind or, of. I, I, we saw that coming, and I, I didn't want to try to try to plan it in the context yeah. of the yeah. Uh, it's it's pandemic. It already hard to remember that you couldn't travel, couldn't get places. Yep. I kind of except Florida. You can come to Florida. They don't care. Well, we we just called a bunch of students back uh, in 2020 from Spain, in particular. In fact, there was a big outbreak in Spain in, yeah. in uh, early 20 or spring of 2020. Yep. Yeah. It's funny how that recedes so quickly. Just, yeah, but yeah, it definitely changed all of our travel plans for the better part of three years. Um, and have you got any coming up? Uh, any plans I'm, for a? Yeah, I'm hoping to do one again in uh, twenty. It'd be, I guess, the summer of 2025 mm -hmm. uh, would be the next one. Mm -hmm. We'll try to get some students recruited for that. And how how many times would you have gone on the the? Trail so, at that point. Yeah, so then it would be one, two, three, four. That would be the fifth okay. um, trip. I took a, a trip um, to Planet in 2014. Uh, then 2015, 17, and 19, I traveled with students. Uh, in 2018, um, I've, we've got a tradition in our family when uh, our children graduate from high school, we go on a large trip. And so my oldest daughter graduated in 2018. And we walked actually the first section of the Camino from uh, Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port on the French side of the Pyrenees um, to the town of Burgos in Spain, which is it's about 140, 150 miles or so. Yeah, so a pretty good trip. Good tr a pretty a good, good trek. Trip. And across the Pyrenees, which yes. is... Uh, How many days is that across the Pyrenees? It, uh, typically, it's just a single day. You can split it up. Um, some travelers prefer to stop halfway because it is a bit of a climb. It's a long day. Turns into about a 20-mile day with lots of up, and then the worst part is down. Is down. Yeah. Uh, you're 
you know, your quads are shot yes. <laughs> and trying to keep your speed from uh, overtaking you as you're heading down. Right. Ends up being the, Especially if you have a pack. Yes. Yeah. yeah and we that, were carrying uh, our, our stuff as well. So. Yeah, that makes it hard. Well, but I've gotten myself, of course, already gotten lost on the Camino, which is a typical experience. Because so we'll try to veer the point of the Camino back into the to the to your path as a historian. And yeah, I I was always interested in kind of the intersection of uh, religion and sort of social cultural issues. Um, My study in education focuses on that. Um, overlap between education and re- religious education, secular education. I'm really interested in those. in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, how right. how people who were who was taught, how they were taught, where the education was exactly uh, everything from um, w- interest in you know uh, sort of the class of individuals who received education, uh, of course, ages of of students receiving education, gender. All of these are questions that. Um, How in the world did you come to that interest? <laughs> yeah, so, somewhat by like most historians, I come, I came upon my topic by accident. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you think you're headed in one direction. Uh, I had an advisor actually who had um, worked on a particular school in, or he looked up, worked on um, mendicant education in a town called Regensburg in southern mm-hmm. Germany. Um, it's about ninety miles north of uh, of Munich. Uh, and he had kind of just, he started working on uh, the mendicant schools, which are the Franciscans, Dominicans, and Augustinian hermits in Regensburg. Uh, and uh, Can I interrupt yeah. you just there? Are you talking about the education of the monks or the, the calling to educate by the monks? So we're looking at both the education of the, the monks, but also... Uh, in some cases, we're looking at outsiders who are educated within the context of these uh, monastic okay. schools. Okay, just to clear up. Yeah, that. no, that, that, that's great. So, the, I mean, that's sort of the my my initial um, uh, my dissertation, my initial research, and what became my book were focused on education in southern Germany in the the 13th, 14th, and early 15th centuries. So that was kind of the the foundation that I came to uh, UNF with. Um, but I'd always thought it would be a great trip for students um, to try and incorporate some aspect of, of uh, medieval pilgrimage into, uh, into a course. And so since I got here in too many, more, too many years <laughs> ago, uh, 2005 now, I'd been hoping to do this. And it, it wasn't until um, 2015 that I was able to kind of get the time to put it together. Was that when you, as, a, as an undergrad or a graduate student, that you first came upon the Camino? Or was that something you knew about? I, I've been trying to think when I first heard about the Camino. And I, I just as a, as a child of a Roman Catholic family who moved to Europe in the 60s, I, I mean, I can just remember my mother talking about it. It was just kind of there and an exciting thing. Yeah. So I can't remember, like, where did I ever hear about it? other than that kind of familial context of Europe. I don't know if I would have heard about it had we not lived abroad. Yeah, I was familiar with it from, as an undergraduate and early graduate student, just because of its its importance. So the the Camino is the the third most important pilgrimage route in uh, in Western Europe, Um, at least for for Catholics, for for Western European Catholics. Uh, The first, of course, Jerusalem, uh, Rome, uh, and then uh, Compostela. Uh, yeah. And so those, that sort of general knowledge of the importance of the Camino uh, as, a, as a major pilgrimage route that drew travelers from all over um, the West, actually as, as far east as Poland. Um, yeah, it's amazing when you start studying it. Just people could literally walk out their door right. from any city, go to the church, Get a blessing and start. And, and as I try to remind my students, we only had to walk it one direction. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the medieval pilgrims are, this is a round trip, right? right. So you, you le- you're leaving from Krakow. Uh, this is a really significant investment, investment yeah. in time, investment in money, um, and you know, potentially uh, health risks and, and all the other kinds of dangers that uh, of a tra- uh, peregrino might um, encounter along the way. Yeah, 
And and I I do remember flying home and thinking, okay, you just walked about 175 miles and it took you 11 days. Now you're flying home 3,000 miles and you're complaining. I, I, because I was complaining yeah. about sitting for so long and uh, the horrors of air travel. Yeah, it it is a juxtapositioning that is really funny. Well, and and that for me always the, the I'm very aware of that experience of moving, especially from kind of modern speed to human speed. Mm-hmm. Right, the experience of every day waking up, and all you have to do all day is just walk to the next town. Yeah, um, maybe stop for lunch or. Or, or maybe a beer, uh, <laughs> uh, but you, there's nothing else that you have to worry about um, on that that portion of the journey, and it's just as fast as your feet can go. Yeah, and, and it's for me, it's always about the third day, middle of the third day, where I realize that you know I haven't gone above four miles an hour in yeah uh, in in three four days, and given most of our life experience every morning getting into a car and careening down the highway at 75 miles an hour, it's a, it's a very different kind of experience. Right. Um, and then the, the contrast of getting on that plane and, and hurtling through. It's shocking. Yeah. It's really shocking because you do get in that human rhythm, as you call it, which is a great way of talking about it. Um, and it is just to find yourself complaining about being able to travel <laughs> enormous distances is – is, you know, startling. Yeah, and I, I try to get my students as much as possible to think about um, both their experience of the Camino in terms of, of space and time, um, and, then, and then to imagine the experience of uh, medieval travelers and how they're similar in some ways but also quite disparate. Right. Um, things like the round trip. Right. You get to Santiago, which is sort of the culmination for us, and we have a you know, big celebration. We've typically arrived the day before St. James Day um, mm-hmm. at the end of July, July 25th. Um, and and so they, they show up, the, the town is all dressed up for the party and, you know, that's the end. Yeah. And then I remind them now, you <laughs> if, turn if we were around. medieval pilgrims, <laughs> we'd be walking back now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But with a clean slate. That's true. That, that religious component um, and I, I must confess, we walked the last day 18 miles, about 18 yeah. miles. And it, we got there, and it was rainy, and it was packed. And I did, I did get in the cathedral, but I did not go and hug the bones. Yeah. And I did not get my final get stamp. Um, I, I was more interested in the beer, I'll admit. <laughs> um, but, but I wish I had had another day or... A, or Two or three days, you know, to really have time to contemplate um, the journey, and mm-hmm. and certainly for the medieval to, to go back to the education piece of it, um, this idea of of walking towards holy ground, mm-hmm. and we talked a little bit with Brandy last time about shrines. Um, what what would you tell us about that? Because that's an idea. That seems deeply buried in history. Um, the idea that these bones represent power. Right. Right? Um, we're just, we're out of that for, mo- for most of us. And certainly, if you're not Catholic, that that's not an idea that resonates. Yeah, and it, it I mean... Uh, Sainthood itself doesn't resonate. Maybe. Right. Wait, yes. real quickly, whose bones are we talking about? St. James the oh, Apostle. Okay. Yeah. So okay. he's one of the apostles of Jesus. And, and well, may you tell the story. Okay. Why am I telling right. the story? <laughs> yeah, so the, the story as um, the Camino remembers it, uh, let's put it that way. Which is a great way of saying it. Um, so St. James, James the Greater, brother of John um, and close associate of, of Jesus, um, was martyred in Jerusalem, as the story goes. His head is, uh, he's decapitated with a sword, so he's often represented with, um, with the sword. When, he, when he's, re- he's represented sort of in three different ways, the sort of martyr 
the apostle, but also the the um, conquering knight on horseback. So they're sort of th- these these disparate images of Saint James. Um, you often see him as as um, the the pilgrim with his staff and his bag, um, making a journey oddly to his own uh, <laughs> uh, to his own bones, uh, but. But also um, in the context of the, the 13th and 14th century, he starts to take on this, um, this role as kind of conquering knight in the, con- in the context of the, the, the Reconquista, or, the, or so-called Reconquista, in which um, large portions of what had been Islamic Spain are, are brought under um, Christian political control. Um, and St. James comes to embody um, that um, that movement um, and represent some of the sort of crusading mentalities that start to shape um, the interactions uh, in uh, in Spain in the the twelfth and and particularly the thirteenth centuries. Um, but um, his his arrival in Spain, he had, according to tradition, um, Saint James had been prior to his martyrdom an apostle to Spain or to the Iberian Peninsula. Um, he, he returned to Jerusalem where he was martyred and then sort of was miraculously conveyed. There are various reports of how this happened in a boat without sailors or oars. He was suddenly somehow managed to pass through the Strait of Gibraltar and then land on the west coast um, of Spain in Galicia near um, Compostela, actually about 20 kilometers uh, from the sea. Um, eventually, they locate his bones. Um, there are various traditions about how they're found. Um, in the um, ninth century, um, they build a shrine that is um, that purports to hold his remains. Um, the story also includes various accounts of him floating on a stone. Uh, there, there are a number of sort of miraculous tales associated with how Saint James, who was martyred in Jerusalem, ends up in uh, the northwest corner of Spain. Um, so, so it's not outright confirmed that it, I mean, I guess there's no way to tell if it's really his bones or not. No, I, I would say I can, I, I can say with absolute personal confidence that they are not okay. the bones of St. James. <laughs> um, but what but, matters, the, in, in the Middle Ages, they, they were believed to be the, vo- right. the, the bones of St. James. And, and for many people, that's right. still what it represents, whether they believe it's the actual physical remains um, is a, a different question. And miracles are attributed to, to those bones. Yeah, absolutely. Which is verification yes. in, in the ancient world uh, or the medieval world of the the bones being that of St. James. Gotcha. And, and all over Europe you find pinky fingers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Ha- I mean, he, by no means is that story unique to James. There yeah. are houses of Mary's that floated over this Mediterranean. There's lots and lots of those kind of stories. Um, And to me, as a religious studies person, what is always fascinating is um, the, the acceptance of those stories as vibrant, Mm -hmm. meaningful, powerful, uh, ways of establishing one's connection to one's faith, our kind of modern scientific insistence that we have some kind of evidence that is based in fact, first of all, wasn't available to them, right. so it's not part of the sits and labum of their thinking, but or the the you know the milieu of their thinking, but it it is a powerful um, one of those powerful. Differences, I think, between the medieval pilgrim and the modern pilgrim um, that you can escape notice that does, you know, you can't yeah. avoid that yeah, difference. And, I, and you mentioned earlier kind of the, these as sites of power. And I do think that's a really important point, um, certainly from the medieval perspective. And uh, Peter Brown, who's a, a, a very well-known um, historian of late antiquity, um, talks about the bones of saints in these shrines as places where heaven and earth meet. Yeah. Um, and so this is not, and, and to think about from, a, and, and we, we have numerous medieval accounts of this experience, this is a place where one literally can touch heaven. Um, that in the, con, the bodily contact with the physical remains of the saint or of um, these, these uh, sacred figures, that one is in essence touching heaven. Yeah. Uh, and 
the emotional experience. And, and it gets described, and this is a piece actually that in the last version of the Camino I had the students really think about, was the, the idea of pilgrimage as uh, a sort of full sensory experience. It's a somatic experience. This is an experience of the body. Right. In all of the ways in which the body experiences movement, the way the body experiences taste hunger. and smell and hunger. And, and these are reflected in the medieval accounts themselves. So they'll describe the, the struggles of the trip itself. They'll, they'll describe in terms of, of, of looking for food, searching for food. Uh, there's a work called the uh, Codex Calixtinus, which is a 12th century work attributed to Pope um, Calixtus. It's not his work, but it's ultimately dedicated to him that is a kind of compilation of stories, miracle tales related to uh, St. James and to the, to the, um, uh, to the Camino, um, and also kind of practical guidance. Um, where do you go to get the best food? Um, where are there lots of robbers? Um, and it reflects, in, in various accounts, it also reflects certain stereotypes about various kinds of ethnicities. Um, the Basque come off very poorly um, <laughs> in this account. Um, but that experience of, of the smells, right? Um, yeah. know, the, the, the smell of sanctity, the smell of, um, of, of the, of the, uh, the sensor. I mean, all of these sorts of things are um, important to uh, the ways in which medieval um, pilgrims experienced um, what, they, what they heard, what they saw, um, what they smelled and tasted are all part of that experience of pilgrimage. And it still is, I think, for... You know, I think so, too. Yeah, and, and you, you talk to the, the, the people that you were traveling with, yeah. um, and it almost... All of our conversations would eventually turn in some way to food. Yes, yes. <laughs> or... Yes, or smells. Or smells, I, mean, yeah. I was on the coast, so there was often, you know, the dead seaweed smell that, that we're familiar with at the beach here, too, but uh, fish and, you know, rotting, uh, all kinds of lovely smells, um, as well as flowers and, you know, the grapes. As I was there yeah. in the, the, the um, September and all the grapes were being harvested. Yeah. It was, there was so much food on the trail growing. Yeah. It was yeah. quite astonishing. Kiwis and wow. nuts and, you know, there were grapes and it, it was, it was, we picked up a cucumber off the road. And it was the best cucumber I ever had. I grant you I was hungry, but it had a kind of lemony flavor. You just, you are super sensitive, yeah. I think, um, to your senses in general, yeah. like your, how your feet feel. Right. Oh yeah. You're definitely huge, aware, of, you're aware of your feet in ways that you've never oh, been aware yeah. of your feet. Right. And, and the way that the, that pain can travel. If you concentrate on your foot pain, your knees don't hurt you start paying attention to your knees, then your back doesn't hurt. It's, yeah, it's interesting in all kinds of ways. Yeah, yeah kind of getting back to the, the smells uh, with, the, with the students, we, um, we end up traveling the full length of the Camino. We only walk the, the last um, section, uh, but we, we start on the French side of the Pyrenees. Um, we spend a couple days in um, uh, Roncesvalles, which is the uh, small town uh, just on the other side of the Pyrenees, the first town really that you reach in Spain. Um, it's also the site of a, a famous medieval um, battle that kind of became this legendary story of of Charlemagne and uh, a battle against uh, an Islamic foe. It took on all of these other meanings that it it certainly didn't have in its original um, historical episode. Um, but we start in the in the Pyrenees and and there. It, walking around, you can smell wild oregano yeah. under your feet. Yeah. Um, there's mint along the way that you... A lot you, of mint. Lots of, a lot of mint. Or, and silage, this, the smell of, of, pharma, uh, of yes. manure and <laughs> of, of silage, of feed for the animals. And, right. And the students were constantly complaining about the smell of manure and silage. Yes. But I, I uh, tried to encourage it. them, that, you know, this is, the, yeah. this is part of the experience, right? Yeah. I mean, this is... Can I, can I take us back a little bit to the... The ease with which, because I think this is another um, concern we have or, or maybe even something we've lost a little bit, the ease with which uh, the medieval world, and I'm thinking of a lot of art, where they, they inserted themselves into the, 
the more ancient world of Jesus's time so that there's often, you know, paintings of um, these medieval women in the, in the clothing of medieval times sitting at the cross of Jesus or watching from the hilltop with the European, um, you know, pastoral scene um, and the ease with which they inserted themselves into the time of Christ, I would argue, reflects this transformative experience of imitation equals transformation and association. There's that. There's three things yeah. going on that that is really interesting, and sometimes I I don't think we're very good at doing that anymore. We we seem to keep our historical epics separate. Yeah, clearly the the medieval art is very capable of what we would think of as an anachronism, right? I mean, you have 15th century paintings with um, soldiers in 15th century garb standing, you know, guarding, as though they're the Roman soldiers um, standing yeah. um, with Christ on the cross, right? I mean, these right. are... Um, typical, so typical that we kind of don't notice it anymore. We forget kind of how weird it would be to see kind of modern people sitting at the cross of Jesus. But And, and some of that, I think, is also related to, um, especially in the late Middle Ages, a kind of piety that really encouraged individuals to place themselves literally in the footsteps of Christ. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, you know, it's reflected in the churches where you walk the stations of the cross, which are indicated along the wall, or where you in pilgrimage would walk um, in Jerusalem along the the, uh, the Via Dolorosa um, to the to um, the the site of his crucifixion. Those sorts of experiences allowed them. They were they were encouraged to imagine themselves as suffering the wounds of Christ, right. um, suffering the um, the his passion with him. Yeah. And I think that trans that that transformation or that that movement across time. Um, is an important way in which um, late medieval spirituality in particular manifested. Yeah, so in bringing uh, James onto a horse as a knight... Me or the same? Yeah. Okay, both. (laughs) You. Okay. Uh, But it it does mirror um, this transformation that is happening and and makes the knight a soldier for Christ, which is... And Onward Christian soldier, yeah. right? We, I mean, there's lots of evidence throughout history that that kind of transformation was um, sought after. Right. And, and there's sort of, there's also, I think, reflecting that the, the eternal presence of the saints, right? Mm-hmm. They're not absent. Gone. They're not dead. It's a community of they, saints. They, they exist and are. <laughs> they, they, they aren't in the past. They are in right. the present. And, and you see that in the Hajj uh, to Mecca um, and the the fact that people all wear the same robes um, transforms, you know, the wearing of white, looking the same, that following that um, tradition puts one in the footsteps of Muhammad. It's, and, and you could t- say the same thing about monks walking in, in uh, Japan or in India, the, this idea that there's a timelessness to it, I think does come across as you walk. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's one of, another one of the questions that I, I try to get students to wrestle with. Uh, on the one hand, I think their initial notion, or for some students at least, the idea that they're, oh, we're recreating a medieval pilgrimage. And I, I try to get them out of that idea, yeah. right? This is not a medieval pilgrimage. I mean, right. we're, we are participating in a pilgrimage that has roots that go back to the Middle Ages, but it is now something it is what it is now, right? right. And, and that includes a variety of motivations, as it did in the, uh, the medieval period as well. I mean, there were contemporary critics of pilgrimage who um, complained incessantly that, that there were people who just went to see novelties, that they weren't really interested in the spiritual benefits. They, or, or we know of people who were sentenced to go on pilgrimage because they'd committed crimes at home and it was a convenient way to get them get removed. Get them out. <laughs> um, and, you know, there was... A, a greater than zero chance that they never came back. Right. Uh, so 
the, the motives for pilgrims have always been sort of complex and multifaceted, um, but to get students to kind of see that, it, because we sometimes get hung up on this notion of authenticity, mm -hmm. and, and, and you see it within the pilgrims themselves, right? Yes. There are sort of hierarchies of pilgrims. Yes. The, the pilgrims who walked the full length of the Camino uh, Frances, uh, on, in, in my case, um, from at least the French side of the Pyrenees, if not you know, Paris, right. uh, or I met a, a, um, a, a fellow uh, pilgrim who um, had, he was from Switzerland, and he, he was trying to figure out where to start, and then he he just woke up one morning, he says, I'm just going to walk out my door, yeah, and he started maybe. in Switzerland, and I ran into him about three miles, or three days out from Santiago. Oh my gosh, how long had he been walking? Well, I That's a good question, and I asked him, because I wanted to know how long, and he said, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> and I thought, wow. wow. That, that's a sort of transformation. Uh, we're, yeah. we're so wedded to calendars and dates in ways that um, to be completely unaware of the number of days that had passed. Um, I think that's something that can only come from many, many, many. Although many. I have to admit, like, I was starting to, after 11 days, I was starting to have a hard time remembering which town we slept in, what we right. ate. It, it, and you think as you're walking, well, I'm not going to forget oh, this. Yeah, it, it, and they then do they sort do of get... store, sort of, yeah, blend. And I really had to go back and try and reconstruct from my pictures, right. which luckily, whoever does it, Apple, has them all labeled right. and time stamped, um, which I would never have yeah. done. That was, but, but I did find that it was yeah. getting jumbled up pretty quickly. Yeah. No, and that's a piece, too, that um, getting students to think about um, technology in the pilgrimage, right? Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, we can we can be nostalgic about the idea that we're traveling at human speed, and, and I am. I mean, I, I'm very nostalgic about that. But we also have access to technologies and, um, and can deploy them in really interesting ways. And yes. so... I, I, I tried to encourage students because some wanted to feel guilty about using uh, uh, technology because it was supposed to be medieval. I said, uh -huh. you're going to be, they're going to be people who will, um, you know, be, be, uh, be flying drones. There are going to be people who will be saying, no, I'm not going to use, I'm going to completely unplug. There'll be no technology. Um, and all of those experiences are as valid um, as, as any of the others. And, yeah. and you know, the, to get back to this kind of hierarchy. Except program. bike riders. Except for bike riders. Every, <laughs> everyone hates, I'm not going to go all the way with you. Every, everyone hates the bike riders. Uh, <laughs> they don't belong, but. They, they come yeah. screaming down the hill behind you. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, well I, I was um, going to ask you um, a little bit about that. What was your own feeling? I mean, I, I sort of resist. I'm such a cheater. I resisted using my phone to follow a map. And then I realized, yeah, but every time I got lost, I asked somebody with a phone, which I knew they would have. Right. So how, you know, pure was I yeah. not very. Right. On the other hand, I did feel like people who were using their phone quickly became attached to that path. Right. Though they didn't get lost maybe as much as I did, um, I felt very much that they were removed, yeah. that it did suck you, which is so strange to think that little handy could pull you out of such a, you know, somatic experience. Right. Um, but it, it's wild how it did that. So what was your own yeah, so position on that? My, my own experience of it is, is ambivalent. On the, I mean, I, yeah. I am. <laughs> okay, I'm with you. My my instinct. I, I'm I'm guilty of all of that nostalgia, right? I mean, I, I I imagine myself. I have a fantasy world in which I raise bees and and make my own butter, you know. So th this <laughs> okay. is okay. Okay, you've the, gone far, right? So, but th this is. I've never done that. But in my, you know, when I think about, um, I, I I love the idea of disconnecting from modern technology. I love the idea of, 
I, I actually never, I didn't have a cell phone until the first time I went on the Camino in 2015. Oh, you? And, and mm, I was told that um, I wasn't allowed to travel with students unless they could yeah. call me. So I had to, I got my first phone in 2015. Um, so I, I'm, I'm personally not especially um, attached to these kinds of um, technologies. But, but then I started thinking about the ways in which certain assertions about what is authentic and what is pure are asserting power over other people's experiences. Yeah. And, and so while my preference would be a slow walk, carrying my own bag, and I, and I, I did always insist on carrying my bag. We, the students had the option of having the bag ferried um, from, um, uh, from hotel to hotel, um, which of course puts us way down the, the, yeah. the, the hierarchy of pilgrims, yes. right? If, if you're, and I confess to that sin. And and other pilgrims will talk about that. I mean, yeah. you can hear. Oh yes. Oh, God, Ooh, as you pass them. Oh yeah. Yeah, right. but you don't have a pack. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Darn right, I don't. And, and so, in kind of experiencing some of the the judginess of that, uh, and I didn't want to be that person. Although I did always carry my pack um, as a sort of side. You'd, wait a minute. Hold on, David. You didn't want to be what person? The person that I didn't was want to judged be the judge. or I didn't the want to judgee? Either. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good, good, good catch. I, I didn't want to be either. But, but also because I do, I, I judge myself by right. the same sort of notions. Right. And, and, and kind of on the one hand, recognizing that it's sort of silly. Um, mm-hmm. And on the other hand, feeling. Like, yeah, there's, uh, I mean, with every additional challenge, comes a sense of pride. I think there's no question about that accomplishment. Um, I, I, I said this last time, I was the worst because I was so proud of myself walking so fast, <laughs> <laughs> passing people. I became super competitive, yeah. um, uh, arrogant to the point of I, I didn't like myself, not that it slowed me down or made me more gentle, but I mean, it's amazing how it seems to be human nature to turn things into a competition it, and a judgment. Yeah. And I, it's a, that was, I was not expecting either to feel judged or to judge. Yeah. And yet pretty quickly I was alert to, yeah. to those kind of judgments. Yeah, but, happy to hate the bikers. <laughs> right. Happy to participate in that prejudice. Basically, basically. yeah, I, I have a uh, when I walked with my daughter over the, uh, the Pyrenees, the first portion of the Camino. Um, from day one, we were back and forth with this octogenarian French woman um, who was probably four foot eight, four foot nine. Her pack was almost as large as she was, and she would just go and go and go and we'd we'd speed up and pass her but then we'd take a break yeah. and then she'd pass us because yeah. she'd never stop she just was this amazing uh, incessant walker and for the first three days we would kind of go back and forth and by day four my daughter said she is not going to beat us <laughs> 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 and we for the first time, we, we walked that time without any breaks um, all the way through, and, and we, we were finally we able her. to beat Ooh. her. This awkward, <laughs> now, yeah, there's uh, a lot of pride in that. Yeah. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that uh, she was doping, though. That was the only, <laughs> the only way that a woman of her age could move that fast in the mountains. Um, I, At least she was probably getting oxygen somewhere. 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 So, there was some cheating going on. Oh, my <laughs> like, God. It is. It, I'm so happy you brought that up because it was... A uh, real experience, and there were, you know, these signs about turismo. Yeah, you know, the, 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 turgrinos. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turgrinos. It was that was unexpected. Um, and and some of that has to do with the explosion in interest in the Camino. I mean, and and thinking about it in terms of of local populations, in uh, 1983, I think there were 607, 670 some pilgrims total. Yeah, that arrived in Santiago. Um, the the last year there was almost half a million. Yeah, so incredible. So between 1982 wow. and today, it went from under a thousand to over 400,000. Yeah. Incredible um, uh, pilgrims, which is extraordinary. Um, and, and, why, and why did that happen? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, some of it has to do, I mean, a lot of the most recent American interest, um, it's still primarily Europeans and Spanish pilgrims. Um, American interest has been tied to the film The Way, um, which came out seven, eight years ago mm -hmm. now, um, mm -hmm. that seems to have inspired a lot of Americans to participate. Um, there was conscious effort to promote it for tourism. Um, Spain has particularly rural areas, uh, has experienced significant sort of demographic decline. Um, so a lot of the areas in, um, in the northwest of Spain um, had been emptied out. And so there were um, conscious efforts to promote and to support the infrastructure for pilgrimage um, begin in the 80s. Um, they even extended it. Um, again, um, part of the argument was to bring tourist dollars all the way to the coast. And so... They extended it from um, Santiago out to Finisterra, which yeah. is now another sort of ending point, not without controversy. Um, yeah. There were a lot of, um, particularly those who were participating for religious reasons, who felt that this was almost sacrilegious um, because the goal of the Camino is St. James, and now the goal of the Camino is the coast or Finisterra. Yeah. Um, and so... That actually, there was some debate of whether or not the state should be involved in promoting um, the pilgrimage out the rest of the way. So it's, econo it's, it's economic, there's some cultural, and then it, people came back and they told stories and they wrote books and there's, it's, it's really exploded. Um, la last year, I think, was the largest in part because they, there were lots of people that had planned to go during right. um, COVID um, who delayed it until right. the next cycle. So Yeah. Um, and I think the Portuguese coastal route, which I walked, what is fairly new. It fairly is. It's, recent. it's fairly and, recent. And before that, it did not go along the coast, but went up m more directly, which, of course, you can still do the Portuguese route. But, um, yeah, so it is, it is expanding yeah. to include a kind of tourism that may or not, may not have a religious dimension to it. Although... I would argue that you can't get away from the religious mm -hmm. element of it. And even along the coastal route, you are going by churches mm -hmm. and, and statues and these markers, these giant crucifix markers, um, all along the way so that there's really no way um, not to at least acknowledge that there's something deeper. And yeah. if you've walked the Appalachian Trail, to me, it was, it's quite a different experience. It, it has, the Appalachian Trail has a kind of destination quest component to it, and people do it in pieces, and people do it with a lot of intentionality. And yet it's, it's quite different. Yeah, yeah the, the first year... Um, I walked it with students. Um, when you when you show up at the pilgrim's office to get your Compostela, um, they ask you the purpose of your travels. Um, and I was aware of this, and I knew that you get a different um, certificate. If you, if you say it's for religious reasons, you get the official Compostela, which is written in Latin. If you do it for others, the other category, um, you get a kind of... Um, Welcome to, to Santiago from the, the, the civic government kind of yeah. um, document. And so I, and not wanting to misrepresent my reasons for doing it, said, well, they said, did you do it for religious reasons? I said, no, I, was, I did not. And the woman at the counter looked at me and said, did you have no spiritual experiences? <laughs> I said, well, you know, I, 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 anything at all where you thought of the world outside? I was like, well, of course, you know. And I said, Okay. And then she gave, she, she gave, gave me the, the, yeah. the, the official Compostela. Um, and so, I, I mean, I, re I wrestled with that myself just because I didn't want to misrepresent. Right. Um, recognizing how um, important pilgrimage is um, in, in all sorts of religious traditions. I didn't want to misrepresent. Yeah, you want to my, honor right. that experience of people who are doing it for those reasons. And for you, obviously, the history of it right. is is got to be compelling. Um I, I I have to get back. I, I don't know where to go next, but... Um, I got a question. Okay. Sure. So what stri strikes me about your experience is you've done it so many times. 
So when you wrestle with, did I have a spiritual experience? Or when you give that answer to the, you know, whoever it is, part of the government, do you find that your answer changes? Does it all, is it the well, same every time? Or It, it changed um, after it was clear to me that I was supposed to say yes <laughs> to the question of whether or not it was a spiritual experience. Right. Then I thought, okay, you know, that's, and, and, you know, there are ways in which it is for me. I mean, I, I, okay. I certainly think very deeply about the religious experiences of others. Um, I'm very interested in how other pilgrims are thinking about and experiencing it. Um, one of the assignments that we have the students do is to, um, to interview um, other pilgrims and collect those interviews um, to record them and, and then transcribe those interviews and then to look for kind of patterns. What are, what are the reasons that contemporary um, uh, pilgrims to Santiago are participating? Um, and of course, you know, for many, it, you know, there are a lot of young people who are participating because it's a, when uh, there was a, a German uh, group um, and when I asked her why she did it, um, she said, well, uh, she said, I've always been sportlich. Yeah. Uh, you know, this was, she was athletic and, and was interested in doing things that required sort of physical exertion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're, the students sort of got from that this really broad range of experiences that people were seeking. Um, and, and some felt disappointed. I mean, in some of the interviews, they were like, well, I thought it was, I, I came for religious reasons, but none, you know, all the people I talked to are just here to have parties and to drink. Um, and then there, there was another person we interviewed and, um, and she said that for her, it, it, it and, and she had been a, um, uh, an Anglican priest. Uh, and for her, she said it was incredibly spiritual. And she said every night was conversation and wine and, you know, watching the sun go down and, and all of these people that she'd never met before and just this incredible kind of community yeah. that's formed um, along the way. Um, and, and since you often are, there's not a lot that distinguishes the speed of, you know, you, you end up sort of matching up with certain people. There, there are some who run off and are trying to complete it as quickly as possible, but there's always a group that are walking about the same pace that you are. And so you end up seeing them over day and over. After day, yeah. You meet them for dinner. Um, you have a pilgrim's meal together. Um, you might, and after that meal, you get together and, and have a bottle of wine. Uh, and so for her, you know, that was just incredibly um, valuable experience. Uh, so I, I my, my answer uh, changed after the first one. It's been sort of consistent since then. Um, and, and, you know, my experience of it is, is more in, the, in, in terms of this somatic experience of being aware of your, your senses and your body in ways that you aren't typically. Um, well, I think even going into those churches, those many, many churches, um, it's such a, an amazing um, experience for the senses. Yeah. The stained glass windows are incredible. The altars that are just dripping in gold, just covered in gold. Um, the the statues, um, the the Jesuses who are st- long suffering. There's always Mary pierced through yeah. the heart several times. I mean, there's so much to look at right. and smell and see in those churches. Um, the the body is involved in lots and lots yeah. of ways. And whether you're horrified by it or amazed by it or simultaneously, like, what, what is going on here, right? There are so many sort of gruesome depictions of suffering in those churches. And then there's so much beauty in those churches. And so that juxtaposition really struck me. And um, I think you can't miss, um, but notice how well cared for everything mm-hmm. is. Um, the, everything's swept. There's, it's not dusty or dirty. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are living shrines, holy places that people care about. The graves, we came on some old graveyards where there would be fresh flowers on gravestones that were, you know, over 100 years old. That's mm-hmm. That really surprised yeah. me, I have to say, that they were 
that they were somebody was putting flowers there. I don't, you know, who knows yeah. who was doing it, but somebody was doing it, and it it was very clear that this pl- these places mattered to people. Yeah. There was very little trash on the trail that I did. Very little um, places that were selling gugas. You mm-hmm. know, there were there were no sort of t-shirty. Yeah, and that struck me like they weren't cashing in too heavily on the on the yeah. trail. And some not, that, not where I was, yeah. and I don't know as. Yeah, I mean the last the the, the section from Saudia to Santiago, which is um, the most traveled portion of the Camino, and that's the part that I've done most with the students. Um, that does tend to get a little more towards the the yeah. The I, I, side. That's probably um, true. As we got within twenty miles yeah. of Santiago. And, Probably and, start seeing some of that. Yeah, and and you know there are um, tufts of toilet paper and those sort. You know, I mean, it, it's a it it shows some of the impact of those nearly half million visitors. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I do think that that has some impact. I also some of the maintenance of those sites. Now, I haven't I haven't done the the Port, Camino Portuguese. Um, so I, I don't, I can't speak specifically to those. I know that along the Camino Frances, the um, maintenance of a lot of those buildings has been funded by um, the pilgrimage. Spain. Yeah, by, by Spain in order to support the, the pilgrimage. Yeah. Uh, and so there's But it a, almost doesn't matter who's doing it. You know, the, it's to me. Yeah, I no, mean, I, that, I, not, not that it matters who's doing it, but I think that it's a relatively new phenomenon that uh, many of those churches, in fact, had have been yes. restored. Yes, um, that was that was clear that they had been restored and that there would be ancient parts of it and more modern yeah. parts. But I, I was just struck by how um, much care yeah. was given to them, yeah. um, and what it what it said to me was this is a viable mm-hmm. part of these communities, and it kind of doesn't matter what reason. Yeah, yeah and it, I mean it's since the mid two thousands it's been. Uh, a uh, UN heritage site. Yes, um, right. And the full length of the Camino now is included. Originally it was Santiago, and now the full length of the Camino is part of is a UN heritage site. Um, and and that I think it's it's an interesting sort of develop. If, if you think about the long history of the Camino, um, the variety of ways in which um, there have been efforts to to maintain or revive it. Um, it it in the 15th century, there's a, a long period of decline in the late 15th and early 16th century, particularly with uh, the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, They're not drawing um, pilgrims from England um, anymore or from large parts of Germany, for example. And so um, it does go into a period of pretty significant decline after the 16th century. Um, there's an effort to revive it in the 19th. Um, and then um, uh, Franco, in particular, actually is behind some of the 20th century push to revive the Camino. So there's a very, I think, it's a complicated and, and fascinating history that, that shows that intersection between um, political motivation, religious um, I, I, ideals and ideologies, um, and what we're looking at now is a 21st century version of, of pilgrimage um, that is, you know, to, to my mind, not something that, we should necessarily judge against an authentic um, pilgrimage, but as a manifestation of 21st century um, experiences. Um, and a way that you you are in history as opposed to observing history, that struck me as I was walking. Like, I, don't even, I don't even really have the correct language yeah. for what I want to say, but you, it's one of the few experiences that I've been trying to think of other kind of things like this and um, maybe reading Torah, you know, where, where you've, you're doing mm-hmm. it in ways that ha- it has been done for a you know, long, long period of time. But yeah. I, I can't think of anything, I haven't thought of anything else that sort of is a continuation of an experience. And I think it's interesting you use the example of reading Torah. I, the, I, I, in medieval uh, manuscripts, I'm very familiar with all of the commentary that goes around the edge of it. Of course, it's also in yeah. commentaries on um, canon law and other sorts of things. But you get 
all of the the layers, right, of, mm -hmm. of subsequent commentary that, that sit around the text. I, I experience the Camino as that series of, of historical layers, right? It's a yeah. the, the the term palimpsestuous landscape, right? It's a series of of palimpsests laid upon one another, erased but not fully, um, and then subsequent things built upon it. And so as you move through that space, all of those presences and absences um, are are there. Right. Um, and you know if you that that the the area in which the Camino itself um, lies has had um, human humans have been shaping that landscape um, since you know uh, twelve thousand BC. Yeah. Uh, and you know there are there are um, dolmens and um, other sort of megaliths that are within several miles of the Camino, and of course you know. Uh, evidence of, of Roman roads, all of those sorts of experiences. Oh, the so, Roman stuff is just kind of littered throughout. Well, well, where we were in Portugal, yeah. um, there were these you know, salting basins and all kinds of Roman stuff that was just kind of scattered there. Nobody's blocking it off. Right. Nobody's using it. It's uncovered, and there's a plaque, but it, that was pretty wild. But yeah, this, and to sort of stand in those and walk through, maybe more more dynamic than standing in, to, to move through those spaces with all of those kind of visible um, layers. Yeah. Um, that for me is, is the Incredible. most exciting part of it. Uh, the piece I, that, and for, for those of us who live here and, and have the fort at St. Augustine, I must have walked by, I don't know, 15 of those forts all along the coast. There's just one exactly like the one in St. Augustine, bigger or smaller, or maybe it's not the full five points, but it's, that was um, to the point where you just, oh yeah, there's another, there's another one. There's another, maybe it has a lighthouse in the middle of it now, a 20th century lighthouse. It just, the layers of history, or, mm. that was really cool um, to, to recognize and it just does kind of, things do kind of slam into you, right? And and to to think about, um, and I know the students did this as well because they wrote about it a lot in their journals. That you know your footsteps on top of the footsteps of of so many thousands um, and now hundreds of thousands um, before you. Yes, um, uh, and one of the fun things was we'd come on these. They look like watering troughs, mm -hmm. but they'd have these places for people to sit, and you, everybody would quickly pull their shoes off and stick their feet in the cold water. And I don't know how old those were, but they felt <laughs> really old. That was kind of a, a cool thing to know. Yeah, everybody's feet hurt. Everybody's in the past hurt. Um, they were interested in cooling their feet off, too. That just those little things sort of bring the history of the Camino right mm -hmm. to you. And you're great. You're very grateful whoever put that trough together <laughs> with a little hut over it. And, you yeah. know, I, I experienced gratefulness a lot yes. <laughs> on the Camino. Yes. Uh, every time you came around a corner and there was, you know, a place to sit or there was fresh water or right. there was a good place for a, a beer. Yeah. Um, yeah, you do. You feel very grateful, even for the people who acknowledge you as a yeah. the Bom Camino. Yeah, um, that was somehow very touching. Mm -hmm. You know, they they re not that not that it's hard to recognize a pilgrim, right. dirty, <laughs> weighed down, dolorous, um, but that people acknowledge you mm -hmm. doesn't happen in our kind of everyday life, and they see you, and they're. Wishing you well. Mm -hmm. um, I really felt grateful for that too. Well, we we've taken an hour. Where did it go? Um, will you come back and talk to us about the children's crusade? Which <laughs> I didn't get to that question, and I really sure, wanted yeah. to. That's that's another fascinating um, uh, subject, and I'd love to talk about the difference between a crusade and a pilgrimage because yeah, I'm not I mean, sure I know exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe the, to tease the the, um, the 
the Crusades are strongly rooted in pilgrimage traditions. Yes. So the way in which they envisioned, particularly the earliest crusade, is as a form of pilgrimage, um, a kind of armed pilgrimage, um, which itself seems like something of an oxymoron since pilgrims by canon law were not to be armed. Um, but the, the first crusade clearly takes on a kind of the form of a crusade or form of a pilgrimage including the kinds of spiritual benefits that were anticipated uh, for pilgrims who took on the, the journey. All right. That was a good tease. <laughs> well, well I, you've got him roped in now, right? You, yep. You're my witness. Yep. He's coming back. Yep. Thank you, David. Thank that you. was great. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you.